Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast that will never ever be uttered by me because that's I don't I don't believe in naming things, especially bad names that should be forgotten and buried. Um, with me on this hey, nameless Chris. podcast, no, we're not doing. The- no, I'm not falling for your trick. With me is Josh. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Say little narrative dissonance. And also with me is Alex. Hello. We are here to talk about the video games and the things. Um, starting with... Well, is that uh, what this is about? Supposedly. I mean, last last week was a Halloween special. We didn't do a lot of video games. It was mostly uh, sort of a vloggy video. This is going to be more video game focused. We're going to we're gonna really hammer home the, the... In the middle of a Halloween party, as I recall. Yes. Um, so, starting... Speaking of video game-y stuff, um, Alex, you were watching the Battle of Eidolon Warframe Twitch drop streamy thing? Would you like to explain what that is? Yeah, so, uh, Warframe came out with a recent update, uh, Planes of Eidolon. I know, it doesn't really matter. Um, and it's a new map that is, air quotes, open world, and they marketed the hell out of this thing. They had advertisements in Times Square, they uh, like they went to town on this. And we had a little bit of insight to this because I am a Warframe streaming partner, so they actually had me sign an NDA and all this stuff. It was very crazy. So what they decided to do is, because Twitch Drops is a new thing, and it's a new system that allows you to integrate gameplay with streaming, and you can do different things with Twitch Drops or... Twitch apps is like the larger body. So you can like do things like show your inventory in the game on stream, things like all sorts of different ways you connect it. But basically the deal was that for Warframe, every time a streamer got an achievement in the game, anyone who was watching on Twitch and had their Warframe account linked to their Twitch account got an in-game item. And there was a drop table. And so there was like common items like fireworks, which is what most people got. And then all the way up to, like, deluxe skins and rare weapons and color packs and things like that. So people were really excited about this. And um, the it was the first time I think a game had implemented this drop system. I, and I know this because I was talking to some people at TwitchCon, uh, some of the people who worked on the Twitch drop system. And I'm like, yeah. They're like, do you know about Twitch drops? I'm like, I'm a Warframe streamer. I know all about Twitch drops. And they're like, oh my god. So they were telling me a little bit about their how their perspective was. And looking at their data, um, they had said that the audience, uh, I think it was the audience participation or something like that for Warframe streams, um, went up by 100 times. And the guy was like, I don't believe this. And, and he had to like double check his data. And he was like, wow, like it is. And, and the results was that the Warframe directory got onto the top of Twitch. It was in like the top three at one point, right there with like League of Legends and PUBG and stuff. So it was a big boom to Warframe. And uh, like a personal boom to my channel and all the other partners as well. But also like along with... I guess the good things comes the kind of sketchy things. And so basically a week after the event started, all these other streamers started coming along and some Warframe partners, um, where essentially what they would do is they would speedrun achievements. And so they would make new accounts, link them to the Twitch account, get the first, play the first bit of the game to get the quick achievements, and then delete the account, make a new account, link it with Twitch, and do that over and over again. And... 
there was a few people that were sitting doing these 24-hour streams with like 15,000 people watching and actually what happened is that they had to end the event early because the amount so you, to get the items you got in-game mail and the in-game mail essentially was destroying their servers alone oh like the God. amount of mail <laughs> so they had to end it early and you know it was an experiment but it was um a lesson learned and you know some people in the community weren't happy about the fact that people were speedrunning achievements and that was kind of like the spotlight on the game was like you know like because it reached the top and normally warframe kind of sits in the middle of the road and people were concerned that like they're coming coming in looking at twitch streams for warframe and all they saw were speed speed a speed speed cheeves i'm gonna just stick with that one speed cheevies and um people were concerned about people getting turned off from the game or stealing views and all sorts of stuff so it was quite a, a dramatic hit to the community um and so it'll be interesting to see what these streamers do now after the after the event has ended but it, it's been it was an interesting thing that's never been done before and um i hope more games take lessons from this and maybe refine it a little bit it's interesting i i i'd like to see how they could make it work because i i understand the idea idea is is basically it's a way to market the game right like the idea is you're giving away free content to people who are watching people on twitch to come back to the game pick up their item do whatever um but but like you were like you pointed out gamification is so ripe for exploitation on both sides right like it's really, really open for exploitation by gaming the system when you have things like... This sounds like basically the, the Twitch version of Achievement Farms that TF2 had way back in the day. where you Back when you would have to complete a certain number of achievements to get the new weapons in TF2. This was way back when they first started doing new weapons. And people would literally build levels designed to allow you to get the achievements to unlock all the weapons and people would just rush to do that which is where Valve ultimately ended up on a random drop system um, and then but... even with that you would just get idling servers where people would log in while they're not doing anything and just sit there right you always have to be designing against people who were there just to get the the end goal of the gamified system the 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 extrinsic reward rather than the the intrinsic reward of engaging with the system because you want like i get what they're going for right like what they want is streamers are playing the game and they're trying to share that experience with their audience and having these in twitch stream drops means that like you know i did it i got the chivo and then when i got the chivo everyone watching me got a little packet of fun and yay it makes watching someone do a thing that much more engaging and that much more worth my time because if he does this not only does he do this cool thing and the whole room can cheer but then i get a free thing it's it's like you know somebody buying everybody a round of beers at the at the pub when somebody scores a touchdown not that that ever really happens but something like that um so i, I get the feeling they're going for but i i don't know it's 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 really open to exploitation on the player side but then it's also really open to exploitation by less scrupulous people than the warframe developers where this seems to be coming from a very earnest perspective there are ways to abuse gamification by people who hold platforms and by people who are designing these games for less positive ways um so i'd, I'd also be wary of that but that said this sounds like a really cool experiment and i i hope they figure out how to make it work for warframe certainly seem to help in the short term.
Oh, for sure. Like, it's definitely been the most successful campaign that they've ever done yet. Um, and the directory is kind of back where it is now. But it's it, it, it did bring up a lot of conflict in the community side. And it's interesting because the Warframe partners have their own Discord where the community managers all hang out and they pretty much talk to us all the time. But... Um, they kind of stayed silent about some of the issues and that was kind of concerning and it turned into Twitter fights and people subtweeting another and it's like it became really toxic and normally Warframe's pretty good about not being toxic mostly because it is like a PD PvE loot grind game so you know no one has to shit on anyone else but there's these little it, it really does become this kind of like our territory versus like their territory when it comes to Twitch directories of like smaller communities and like the outsiders came in and they reached out to some bigger streamers to start playing Warframe and kind of accelerated their status so they got glyphs right away which is like normally something for partners and they got um, all the Eidolon content early or like the information early um, with the partners and they're you know so like there's there's that like marketing versus like community element that I think I'm very interested in exploring more as I look into these like game based Twitch partner communities outside of like the regular Twitch partner. It'll be interesting to see it grow, and I, I think it will only grow, especially. You know, I mean, YouTube is interested in, in streaming services, obviously, and, and there have been Twitch competitors for a while, although at this point, I don't know if anybody other than YouTube really has the finances to do it. Who was it that bought Twitch? Was it Amazon or was it eBay? Who bought Twitch? Amazon. It was Amazon. Okay. Yeah. They have the money to keep the lights on at Twitch. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's going to be interesting to see if this gets like adopted by other uh, streaming services like uh, the YouTube streaming stuff. Um, anyway, uh, Josh, you've been, unless anybody has anything else to talk about Eidolon? Did you meet any Greek ghosts? Is that what an Eidolon is? Um, that's that's what an Eidolon is. It's the like ancient Greek idea of ghosts, basically. Like, Dead people ghosts or sort of like spirits like or... the image of of a spirit of a dead person that someone sees. Well, the Eidolons in Warframe are just like Shadow of the Colossus things, so probably not. Oh. Maybe there's lore there, I don't know about it. Is the plural of Eidolon Eidolon? Because it's the planes of Eidolon, which makes it sound like it's one dude's planes, but are they all Eidolons? Um, Wikipedia is telling me that the plural of Eidolons is and of Eidolon is either Eidolons or Eidola. Eidola sounds cooler. The planes of yeah, Eidola and cool. it's full of ghosts. Yeah. The Eidolons only come out at night, of though. Failed fashion frames. Ha <laughs> so, so they come out at night, and they're like the shadow of the Colossus monsters. Well, they're, like, very large, like, slow-moving, and you have to... It's, like, a kind of like a boss battle. Like a raid boss. So you don't have to, like, climb up on them, but you have to, like, take out their limbs and, like, 
get these things called lures to like hold them in place so they don't teleport away. We some a little I, smaller I'm, ghost things. I'm still hung up on the name. Like it'd be like calling something the Plains of Ghost. And 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 you have ghosts plural, but why don't you call it the Plains of Ghosts? I, I'm I, I mean, don't know. It's, it's Greek. Greek sounds cool. It does um, sound cool. <laughs> I. I should point out, I'm not a classicist. The only reason I know what Eidolon is is because um, I looked it up for another game called Eidolon, um, which was like released a couple years back and was um, actually probably a bit better, uh, more appropriately named anyway, because it was about um, wandering around like post post apocalypse uh, Washington, where like everything had recovered and nature had recovered um, from the post apocalypse and like basically seeing cyber ghosts of people who died and, like, learning their stories. I want to be a cyber ghost when I grow up. Like, it was, like, I guess the conceit was, like, their their recording devices or whatever. Um, you would find those and and see apparitions of them and that kind of thing. I really shouldn't be so picky because the emphasis is really on the planes because this is a game that used to mostly be inside and suddenly now you can go outside and fight giant shadow with a claw side things. So I think my emphasis is wrong. Well, it, I mean, I, it's kind of bugging me now too, actually, but it is, it's a pretty cool expansion. It's, they're going to be doing more open world maps because this was the earth map and there's different planets you can go on in warframe so they're going to be developing another open world map on another planet so people really want to see an ice ice planet that'd be pretty cool might happen so what is the what, are, what is the open world content like is it like destiny where it's just sort of a bunch of players together with missions spread out through the open world or like is it an instance where you have to go there and do a thing with friends and then and it's just you and your friends it's instanced, so you, there's a town, and you go to the town, and you can get different supplies, and then there's a guy that has bounties, and then you go into the plains with a party of four, just like any other Warframe map. And it's just open world, and so, like, there's the bounty that you have selected, and then if you once you're done the bounty, you can uh, fish, or mine, or um, if it's an Eidolon, if it's night, you can fight an Eidolon. And then sometimes other small bounties pop up randomly. Um, but for the most part, you're still very much like going into the plains with a party of four or by yourself, either farming or doing missions, and then going back to the town to exchange your stuff. The, the one thing I have a problem with is that it doesn't actually um, contribute much to the rest of the game. So like you farm fish to get resources, to get standing for the different... Factions there to get better fishing rods, to fish better, to mine better, to like, you know, upgrade weapons that you can use to kill Eidolons. Um, and there's some like mods and stuff you can use for your frames that are just, you can just use anywhere. But for the most part, it's very like, um, what's the term I'm thinking of? Like, it's, 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 it's separate from the game in a way because it only really helps improve itself. What am I thinking of? What's the term? I so, feel like there's a word for that, but I don't know what it is. I Yeah, I don't know either, but it reminds me of Star Wars Galaxies, um, where you had, like, the Star Wars Galaxies game that was basically, like, EverQuest-ish, and then, like, 
I don't remember exactly how long later, but like within the first year, um, they released the expansion that added space. And space was cool and all, but it had absolutely, there was zero overlap with like ground stuff. Um, you, you had a completely different skill tree. Uh, it only added one crafting profession, and that crafting profession was just like only for space stuff, so there wasn't any real like economy overlap or anything. Um, space rewards didn't help you on the ground, and ground rewards didn't help you in space, and so on. According to Warframe Wiki, the Eidolons are the sentient that were defeated in a battle against the Tenno in an ancient war and now wander aimlessly in the fields devoid of purpose. So it is kind of a ghost. You're right. Sounds more like Titans, though. Well, like, anyways. If we're going it's... for classical Greek ideas, like, that does sound more like the Greek Titans. Um, I suppose that. You can't go planes of titans without running into a lot of like, oh, it's Attack on Titan. Where's the naked people? <laughs> Where's the giant mecha? Everything in the game is really based off of like Greek mythology and like, like there's a Warframe named Nyx and there's one named, uh, I don't know. I can't think of any others right off the bat. <laughs> There's like the all the planet names, right, are all Greek inspired for the most part. There we go. Sorry about that. Hi, Chris. I'm back. All right. Do we want to? Were you guys in the middle of something? Sorry, my internet. Uh, uh we can probably switch just gears. Just plotting your demise. That too. Okay. We weren't gonna tell him, Josh. God. All right. Are we moving it's on? Better that Did... he knows. Just trust me. It'll eat at him. I lost the last bit of the conversation. Do we do we want to keep going on that, or do we want to? Are we ready to move on? No, we're we good. Can we can move, move on. on. All right. Sorry again. My internet sucks. Um, so Josh, usually an attribute I I attribute to you. Wow, I really fucked that up. An attribute I attribute <laughs> to you. Great going, Josh. I was going to make a joke at Rutzkarn's expense, but I guess I'm going to abandon that. So speaking of streamy uh, adventure times on Twitch, I am to understand that you and Alex streamed some Assassin's Creed yesterday? Yeah, the we, we said we were going to stream the least popular game that came out last week. Or is it the week is it before really? last week now? I, uh, I well, feel I mean, like... like, think of what came out last week. Like, Mario Odyssey, uh, Destiny 2 is probably more popular than it at this point. What about um, what about the game by the guys that did uh, Until Dawn that came out last week too? Oh, a hidden agenda. I played that. Yes, did it? Yeah, hidden agenda came out. Um, I have not I messed. Not with... Realize that was also coming out. That's... But yeah, well, that's why I think that is the games. the least popular game that came out, at least in terms of fairly sizable releases. Um, okay, fine. But but anyway, uh, so I'm I'm interested in playing that, but I don't. I, to, to, to stay on topic, um, so you guys played Assassin's Creed Origins. Um, did you yep. have any major historical concerns, complaints, issues? Uh, no, it seemed pretty good. Um, you were a little as far bothered as by goes, Alexandria. Um, it seemed. Were we? I don't I? know. You seemed uh, to say that you didn't... It was not right. No, I... Did I? I thought I said that it was like um, this was what you would expect because Alexandria was a Greek city and not an not an Egyptian city at all. Um, so having all I this like classical Greek kind of stuff, 
no, I, I think it's it's really cool as far as like being about ancient Egypt and, and having ancient Egyptian um culture and mythology and and architecture and so on. Um that all looks cool. Uh I think the thing that I said was like it's weird that um we're just in the middle of the desert now <laughs> that you can get from the Siwa Oasis to the Nile in a quick hop and a skip. That's that's video game though. Like that's any any open world game plays with size and scale. Skyrim does that. All the all the Bethesda games do that. Like I guess like after Alexander got lost in the desert for a while and lost a bunch of people to like starvation and dehydration. You just didn't uh, look left and see yeah. the city. <laughs> oh oh there oh shit! I should have just done that. Um, <laughs> God. Um, so. So there's nothing really historically wrong with it, you think? Like, it's fairly time period accurate? I mean, uh, beyond, like, the typical Assassin's Creed uh, conceits that you're going to see in every Assassin's Creed game, where, like, everyone who was anyone in history seems to have had the uh, the advantage of having alien technology on their side, um, and or as a Templar... I've long maintained it's sort of the Forrest Gump of, of video game franchises where you just bump into yeah, every it is. important historical figure ever. Um, like, if you're going to do that, though, like, the the age of, of Caesar and Cleopatra in Egypt is probably the best time to do it where it won't seem weird because, like, there's a whole bunch of, like, very famous um, historical figures running around during the time period of the game. Um, the story is still kind of, eh, um, from the looks of it, very melodramatic, and, and, like, it seems like they're kind of trying to do Assassin's Creed 2 again, um, where the initial story is all about revenge, because oh, that that was killed your family members... Um, that that's the one thing that that did kind of bug me is not only not only is it a classic Ubisoft revenge story of um you know we can excuse whatever actions you take in the game because some people you know died which is like every yeah. Ubisoft open world game ever e- even the stupid racing game anyway sorry I get angry about that still um, uh like I don't know like like if we want to spoil like specifically what happens in this game it's it's only well, like an hour and a half in so like who cares well, um but that was my other complaint it's is, kind is of the like, premise that's true but like my my complaint is I've I've only played like I haven't got quite to the reveal yet but I played like an hour and the that opening hour of origin or uh yeah of origins is really super confusing because it opens in media res with you killing one of the guys that you're getting revenge on, but you don't know what happened it's, and why you're going after him for so, revenge. Yeah. It's actually worse than that because like there there's that, that cutscene um with the Pharaoh, yeah. It's uh, like you see the Pharaoh with, and you with, glare at him. Okay, so there's yeah. There's a cutscene with with uh Ptolemy the thirteenth and uh and then you um it cuts and then you're in a dark place and it says the Bent Pyramid, um and uh and you're fighting some dude with a mask and you kill him or like kinda kill him off screen, I guess. Um and then it cuts again and you're fighting some like eight foot tall dude with a big hammer. Uh and and the idea, like, that you think is happening is that 
the the eight foot dude with the big hammer is like coming after you like as the bodyguard for the guy you just literally killed in the last cutscene and that all like is is happening sequentially um that's not the case because you're no longer at the bent pyramid you're in some temple complex hundreds of miles away in the siwa oasis and like apparently that all just like so you've got like that a year ago you scowl at the pharaoh then you kill some dude then, sometime later, you're fighting some giant guy with a hammer in some ruins. And, like, it, none of it makes a whole lot of, like, like... Like, it's even worse than it looks as far as, as trying to work out what's going on. And eventually, they do fill in the backstory, but for the first hour, you are just completely lost as to what is actually really happening. And it's, it's not a great way to start your big new reboot of the franchise. Or not reboot, but... I don't know. They the, took two, they the took start a year of off. that game is not great, which is strange for video games because if there's anything that video games do generally pretty well. It's getting the like first couple hours experience good. It was very boring. But like the the so the the thing they did is they kind of threw out all the Assassin's Creed gameplay like elements. Like there's there's a little bit you can jump off of people and stab them with your blade, your hidden blade that you get like, two hours into the game. Sure, good. Um, but, like, most of the gameplay now feels very um, Witcher 3 or Horizon Zero Dawn, somewhere in between there. Like, I, this is, game is actually a little bit more hard RPG than uh, Horizon Zero Dawn was. Um, like, there are... Like, there's a level system that's very important, like, almost MMO levels of importance... So you get dumped into um, your hometown, I guess, um, and it's this oasis that's kind of off away from the main game world, uh, and you're level two, and the next quest, like the next story quest you're told is level five, and it literally just says, hey, you're not going to be able to do this quest, go level up first, and so you go and do side quests for like an hour or two. Uh, and then you go and do the level five mission. Uh, and we kind of tested this later on to see like what would happen. Like we were level eight and we tried to do a level 11 mission. So three levels higher. And like, we could take on individual enemies and, and beat them taking some amount of damage. Um, but like more than two or three enemies was like instant death. Uh, so the whole thing is like, you get, you, you get that initial opening cutscene, and then you do, you, you land in the first open world area and then it's straight up just like, Hey, go level up, go do some side quests and grind up your level. And the side quests are not that great. Um, you know, they're pretty standard fare, what you would expect from like side quests. Like, Oh, you, the, one of the village kids got stuck in a tomb and you got to go and do a little bit of puzzle, like very light puzzle solving involving hitting some barrels with your sword so that they explode instantly. So you can move a bookshelf to the side and, and that's like, and that's a side quest. And then it ends with like fighting some hyenas and a leopard for some reason. Um, that that's not great, but ha what was the last Assassin's Creed game you played? Uh, I played a bit of Assassin's Creed Revelations, and that was the last one that I really actually. Did yeah, that's that's um, that's why I think you might be a little bit underwhelmed like, here. Like the the series had fallen into a pretty hardcore rut. 
I think by the time you reach like yeah. Unity, um, like I was kind of done with Assassin's Creed around like two thirds of the way through Brotherhood. So I got Revelations, which is sort of like the the third Ezio story, the end of the Ezio story, and it was just like I'm not interested in doing this. Like whatever. Um, I didn't the play series... three. I did not play four. Uh, I did not play um, Unity or Syndicate. So it like, has never. The series has never played well. Like this is this is the quintessential yeah. problem with Assassin's Creed. It is amazingly beautiful historical fiction that recreates a real place in real history, not necessarily literally accurately. We were just complaining about the desert, but in a way that is is something you don't get in in a lot of other places. It's not a lot of games let you walk down the streets of revolutionary France that aren't like. You're a dude with a mega gun shooting, you know, all sorts of guys trying to cut off their heads for the revolution. No, you're just walking down revolutionary France's back alleys, or you're walking down the street of of ancient Egypt, or or whatever. We don't have a ton of really big budget, awesome historical fiction, so that's the one thing the game always did well, but it has never played well. And I'm I'm interested to see if some of these combat mechanic changes and a bigger emphasis on systems makes exploring the world less unbearable because as much as I love the world of something like Assassin's Creed Unity or Syndicate, um, you know, climbing Big Ben, totally amazing thing to do in Syndicate. Um, but like every mission was like free orphans from the child labor facility by sneaking around and walking up to an orphan and hitting A. And if that's the depth yeah. of your interaction with, uh, with, with child labor in, 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 uh, Victorian England, that's not a great system. You're, you're, you've got this beautifully rendered world and the interaction with it is crappy. I, I was really hoping that taking more of a card out of, or more of a note from Far Cry or The Witcher would make it less unbearable to, to, to actually play rather than just walk around in. Like, Does so that seem the to be actual... The, the gameplay itself is... Um... It's basically Dark Souls combat, um, and it's it's really like Dark Souls combat by way of The Witcher Three, which is already kind of doing Dark Souls combat. Um, so you know you you have, and it's even like got the controls laid out the same on a gamepad. So R one is light attack, R two is heavy attack. You've got a dodge button. Um, you can unlock a parry at some point. Uh, like it's it's pretty. You know you have a block button on L one. It, it's very. Um, like very very basically Dark Souls. It's not nearly as deep as Dark Souls or as satisfying, but it doesn't really need to be because like you know, Dark Souls is all about that particular um, gameplay loop uh, of of you know fight enemy, use your weapon skills, dodge, block that kind of stuff. And this game has more to it than that. So like I, you know I'm not I don't I'm not bothered by a game that is not just trying to be Dark Souls, having Dark Souls combat but not as deep. Um, so like that's more fun than than they ever uh got with their old combat system which was basically just like a parry counter system um you just like look at enemies and wait for them to hit you and then you'd block at the right second and then instantly kill them and that was basically the best way to play through like Assassin's Creed 2 um I guess I'd heard that like they had added more options there 
but like like in subsequent games that I didn't play, but like that was that was sort of the bread bread and butter uh, bleh, bread and butter of Assassin's Creed combat, and you know there weren't really any stealth mechanics in the old Assassin's Creed that much, you know, despite being a game about assassins, there were surprisingly few mechanics about like hiding aside from just like sit on a bench with some other random people and now they magically can't see you. <laughs> yeah, well. You should definitely tell Chris about the funnest moment we had in the game though. And you know which one it is. There there are several ones that come to mind. Uh one of them is when we uh rammed that galley with our tiny boat <laughs> <laughs> and and pushed back a like a, a a trireme basically like a Greek trireme with this tiny barge with um some drunk dude we didn't like on it and left him there. Yeah, he we were supposed to bring him back to his wife, but he was a drunk asshole, so we decided not to. And we just left him in the middle of the ocean. Did you swim back? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> we basically, we rescued him from crocodiles, and then we told him we're taking him back to his wife, and he was like, I have a wife, and was like talking about a bunch of like drunken antics, and we were just like, okay, let's just, let's just leave this guy in the middle of the lake, and he can deal with himself if he ever recovers. So, Alex, what did you um, think? So, this was my first time even seeing any footage from an Assassin's Creed game. Like, the, I've oh. never played one. I've never even seen anyone play one. Um, and I've seen maybe a bit of the one where you're, um, you're in, like, colonialist America, I think, and you're a slave and you're killing all the people in the plantation. Oh, the only uh, one that had a female protagonist... Freedom Cry, I think, or Liberation? It's one of the two. Liberation. Okay, so that I've seen that because someone did a presentation on it and we're talking about... I don't know. Anyways, um, so... Oh, they were just talking about how violent it is and how, like, violence um, was, like... I, like, it was a dissonance thing with, like, the slave narrative, narrative that they were trying to tell. And, I don't know. Anyways... Um, so I was very underwhelmed, and I just am wondering why people are obsessed with this series. And I was I saying on the stream that, that, like, I understand the the appeal of exploring a historical setting in a very specific time and place, but I, I just feel like, I don't know, I just... I feel like there there's other games that kind of give you enough of that history... Without all the like weird sci-fi shit and the oh yeah, um, that's back. We... Hmm. Sorry to spoil it for you, Chris. I forgot that it was like a reveal, but it, it's still pretty general. Generally, I'm talking about the sci-fi shit, and I, like, and there's so much like talking and just about nonsense. So I don't understand it. Yeah. I don't either. Like, even I can't really answer that question. Why do people like the Assassin's Creed games? And I'm like, they don't, do they? Like, did anyone I... like Syndicate all that much? Did anyone like Unity all that much? I don't know. Um, I... I think, like, up through Assassin's Creed 3, at least, you could make the argument that, like, they had that meta-narrative and that seemed like they were building up to somewhere, but then they didn't, from what I hear, so... 
no, what kept people they playing. Did not. They 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 did not do good with that meta narrative, and then they kept carrying it forward, and it became a fourth wall meta commentary on video game development, and just everything about it is awful. Desmond is awful. All of it is awful. Um, yeah, I, 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 I really don't get the Assassin's Creed thing. Um, like I said, I, I like playing it for walking around in these these historical contexts, but it it is never played well ever. It introduced free running, and that's probably like if there's a reason to remember Assassin's Creed. Really, it's that it introduced sort of like hold the button down free running that sort of got really, yeah. really refined in something like an uncharted. Um, and it introduced that mechanic, the way gears of war introduced cover shooting and then kind of flared out. Um, that's kind of it. And I mean, it I does have that, like that, that interesting veneer of like you are exploring an, an historical setting that, Right, never shows up in games like this. Um, which was kind of the thing that bothered me about the later series. Was like it was kind of going into territory that was like, yeah, we actually do have games that are kind of set in these time periods a bit. You know, everybody was like, do Assassin's Creed World War Two, and it's like, no, don't do that. Do not ever uh, do that. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? That be... That's also like that's just Sniper Elite. <laughs> I mean, if you want, if you want to get your murder Hitler stuff on, go just shoot Hitler in the balls with a sniper rifle in Sniper Elite. Any of the versions have it. Um, and I guess like the I, I, there there was like the other like Assassin's Creed game that was really popular in recent like at times was like Black Flag, but yeah. that was because it was basically Sid Meier's Pirates Two. Um, yes. Not because it was an Assassin's Creed game, and it leaned really far away from like that. You have to assassinate people because you're a sad dude. It also had perhaps the best, the the, the best actual arc, um, in that basically, instead of having the arc of everybody died and so I'm out for revenge, the arc was you're a young pirate who's kind of a jackass. And then you go set sail and pretend like you're an assassin, even though you're not, and you're halfway good at it. So like you can kind of make it work until it doesn't work and everything falls apart and you lose everything. And then at the having lost everything, have to redeem yourself and prove yourself actually good. And like that's an actual character arc, as opposed to a very boring vengeance story, which is about what ninety percent of Ubisoft games are. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I think we've talked about we, we've we've pooped on Assassin's Creed enough, I think, for, for one uh, podcast. Oh, you had I something? I want to just add one other anecdote from the stream, which is that, like, like yes, they, they do have that sci-fi story. Like, the game doesn't start out with any, like, abstergo nonsense, but, like, after the first major assassination happens, like, the animus shuts off, and you pop out into the real world, and you're in some desert cave as a lady, and... and everyone watching the stream just kind of groaned in unison. There was just like, everybody's yelling, yeah. no, in the chat, and it was great. Um, Future stuff yeah, is so bad. It's, it's doing that again. And it was like, and it was literally like, pop out so you can read documents. And we were like, fuck that. Yeah, like <laughs> it was literally like in. this interface of this lady's laptop, and it had this weird fake band on it. And I'm like, I don't care. This isn't her story. 
like the the one positive is like hey you're playing a lady instead of the most boring man on the planet now and also like maybe she's got a girlfriend but like come on ubisoft if you want to have a female protagonist just make the fucking assassin a female like they've done in the you know yeah once on the 2D PSP game. game no they, they did it they did it on the PSP game and then i think one of the assassins in the 2D stealth games was a woman i think Oh, those games that everyone played and liked. Um. Anyway, again, I think like we're trying we, to have their cake and eat it too. We we have we have we have made Ubisoft feel shame enough for for their Assassin's Creed yeah. stuff. Um, Alex, you have been playing Fortnite, I take it. Yeah, so I jumped back into Fortnite because I kept getting emails about it, and they have the <laughs> new battle royale. No, I'm not even kidding you. And Dauntless tried that too, but I am not going back. It will not take me back with with their nonsense. Um, But I was playing the Battle Royale mode, which is a new free-to-play mode that they have added to the game. So you can still... They have it in separate menus, so you can get into your PvE with the tower defense, and that's all still there. But now we have a PUBG clone, and... um, Like, I don't say, say PUBG clone super lightly, but... It it really is a, a kind of ripoff of, of the whole thing. Right down to the whole, like, you're in a airborne vehicle and you have to parachute down and, like, except it's the bus. I don't know. There's a bus. Is there a blue I, wall? Uh, yes, there is the blue wall. Um, <laughs> so the circle that, you know. the The main difference is that I think the map is smaller and you get less equipment, so there's less foraging time and more fighting time. So in my experience, I landed somewhere, a few other people were there, you quickly grabbed a gun, which was usually a shotgun or an assault rifle, and the shooting started right away. And if people were hiding, then you can also use the build mechanic in that, so you can build like a staircase up to the second floor of a building, um, you can maybe pick up traps every once in a while, which is kind of neat. The That's same traps from the same traps from the tower defense version. So I had at one point like a Tesla coil on the roof of this house I was in, and um, you know tried to lure people into it, but no one fell into it. So, um, uh, or one time someone like broke through a wall to get me, and that was kind of fun. Like PUBG, but you can make your own fortifications sounds like an interesting way to do it. And probably the best way that you could do it with Fortnite's existing mechanics. But you you already know like the pre built maps are always gonna look different than the home the player made structures. So it's gonna be real hard to like like other than playing mind games, like literally building yourself a fort next to a fully furnished home and then hiding in the home and assuming that people will look for you inside the fort because they know that a player built it. It's, it's hard to build a house and hide in it because people are going to be walking around and go, Oh look, a player built that fortress. Let's kill the player inside that. I mean, that is exactly the sort of mind game shit that people would play in PUBG. So, um, like, but like, like, even if it's just like reinforce the existing structure that you're in, like that, like there are times in, like there are situations when you're playing PUBG where, um, like the jig is up and everybody already knows where you are, 
and for various reasons, they can't get to you easily, but they're, you know, laying down fire, and you're like, I it would be really cool if I could make this window go away. So I will admit that I have not got into the late game element. So I have made it to 40th, and I've killed one person. I've never made it to the late game where maybe there's a change and people are actually fortifying and building structures and things. So I didn't see a lot of that yet. Is it still 100 versus 100? Or not 100 versus, 100 yes. versus all? Like it's yes. 100 player servers. Is it as fast to get into and out of a game the way it is in PUBG? I think it's faster in PUBG. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's pretty I mean, fast. And I think like, overall, we... I think it has to do with the servers and the controls and everything just being a little bit more polished. Like, like you're not we stuck seeing... in menus as much. Sorry, Josh. Wait, what? That's not... An... What? We're, we're talking about Fortnite here, right? Well, not in a series of menus, but I mean, it's not like in PUBGo where like <laughs> it takes forever to load in. And then sometimes right, it's yeah. laggy or like... Or, like, like jumping works in Fortnite, which is really nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like, PUBG's weird latency jankiness is, like, tolerable if you're coming from, from like, to it from, like, DayZ or any of the Arma, like, descended stuff where arma itself is really fucking janky all the time so you're kind of used to it but like if you want to like take that and like put actual legit real uh decent multiplayer shooter mechanics and netcode into it like you know and and like mmo sh and, and like like normal online shooter kind of latency like that you're gonna beat PUBG pretty fast you know, like, the, the jankiness is charming to an extent, but not enough to say, like, I really want to play this game like this all the time. Like, it'd be really swell if when I, I click on something to loot it in PUBG, I actually did instead of, like, having a second of latency between hitting that and picking it up and sometimes not knowing if, if it's actually going to end up in my inventory, so I'm just spamming the F key or right-clicking on it a lot. So, my weird hang up with this is that my experience with Fortnite is very driven by persistent items. Like that's the one thing that Fortnite does. That's really, really kind of cool is that it has a percept, uh, perpetual inventory for crafting across all of its multiplayer modes. And whether you're doing your own local thing with building your own fort or whether you're going into another multiplayer game, your inventory is your inventory and that's static. And from what I understand, this mode resets that because you have to be able to find items. So having items on you going in doesn't make a lot of sense. Is that true that you just have, like, you spawn with nothing like in PUBG? You have your pickaxe, so you can farm right away for materials. But other than that, you don't have anything. That's such a weird decision. I mean, I get it because if you're trying to ape PUBG, you need to start with nothing. But so much of the game is built around backpack space and carrying capacity and crafting and carrying that inventory around all around with you. I mean, that's why they have that entire mechanic of like, um, you save survivors to send off on scavenging missions to go find stuff for you. So that, you know, when you come back to play later, if they succeeded in their mission, you can have more wood or bullets or whatever that they kind of remove all of that to compete with PUBG is just, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's weird to me like that they would, neglect this core thing they built all these menus around 
to to facilitate competing with another game. I mean, like, lots of people really hated that about Fortnite, so maybe it's not a bad thing. Um, like, it's it's totally separate. Like, this game mode is totally separate from the normal progression, though, isn't it? Like, you don't. Yeah, it's completely get stuff separate. from playing Battle Royale in it's, uh, in it's your free, normal right? game stuff and vice versa. Yeah, it's free to play, unlike the main version. Yeah. Is there any advantage to having played the main version then? Like, do you get special Not skins at all. or stuff? You okay. get a handle of what the menus are, so the build menus, which are a little confusing at first. Right. I would say that I think this whole thing is just a marketing strategy. Get people in with the PUBG, and it's probably was super easy to build for them, and then just sell the rest of the game. But is anyone still interested in the rest of Fortnite's gameplay stuff, though? Like, we kind of didn't... Like, we all kind of fell off of it pretty quickly. Um... I... If if they clean it up, if they... If they weren't building marketing gimmicks, stealing from other games that do it better first, and they were focused on cleaning up their menus and systems, I I would be interested in giving it another go in six months and see if they've fixed it up. I I I liked what I played. It was just overly convoluted, weirdly balanced, and kind of lacked focus. If they can polish it up and really focus on what they want it to be, rather than having it be a little bit of everything, I I think it could be cool. Um, The other problem is that Destiny 2 came out, and if I'm looking for, like shootery things with a consistent uh, inventory thing where I'm looking for cool stuff that currently wins when I'm looking at the two games I could play. Yeah. I guess the other question I have about it is like we, they were releasing player numbers and like the Fortnite battle Royale stuff was like directly competing with PUBG's numbers, which were already like ridiculously high, you know, like PUBG is competing with like counter strike and, and, uh, you know, and other big Steam games, you know, um, probably in the Overwatch realm of, like, player base. Um, and I'm like, like, that's cool and all, but I don't know anyone who's actually playing the Fortnite uh, Battle Royale stuff. Like, I guess until now that you started picking it up, Alex, so. It's really big on on Twitch right now. Yeah. I, I do wonder which platform they're actually playing it on because I I feel like it would be bigger on consoles because it's the free-to-play part and right now the only place you can play it on the PC is through the Epic launcher thing, which is really weird. Oh, and... God. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. And I was like, how do I play Fortnite? Which company does this thing? <laughs> oh, that, that launcher. You can launch Fortnite and the completely fan-built, completely half-finished Unreal Tournament 2017, <laughs> and or Paragon or whatever their their. I actually Dota really clone. like Paragon. Oh yeah, that's right. Quake is Bethesda. I was like, wait, can't you play the the new? No, that's oh no, it's Quake. Bethesda you, that's Bethesda. You can't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's a different one. Is that still going on? Yeah, the Quake yeah, Champions came out. They keep. Oh, did that? Did it? They keep yeah. sending me like emails about like alpha questionnaires, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's thirty dollars on Steam right now. It came. Huh. It's in early access, but it came out on Steam. I mean, it came out. Oh, okay. I mean, it came so out like on Steam. It, they went from 
from closed alpha to paid open beta is what yes. you're saying. Um, do you want to talk about uh, we we want to move on? Anybody got anything else to say about uh, Fortnite? Should we do a stream of it at some point or something? Fortnite yeah, or why Quake not? Champion? Both. And the fighting game. Either. And a fighting game. That's something else we got to figure out. Um, yeah, I mentioned this on the stream, but uh, we want to do a stream where, like, I suck at fighting games, right? That's our premise. And wouldn't it be interesting to watch me struggle at learning how to play fighting games live with a live audience? So... I've seen you struggle. You swear and get angry, and it's scary. <laughs> That's great. Um, I Hang would out. vote. Bring your kids. I I would vote for um Killer Instinct just because that's a fighting game I like, and since we I don't think we're gonna do Injustice Two. I think we were talking about something like more classic, um, like I don't know one of the Street Fighters or maybe like Tekken or Mortal Kombat. I can't help you with that. I I can't help with with like. 2D sprite based. It's it's all about frame counting, and I just I can't I can't even. Well, it would have to be like like ideally we'd want to like do it multiplayer over the internet, which like again like I understand that's not an ideal way to learn how to play a fighting game, but like it's better than learning how to play a fighting game by playing against the AI, which is just reading your inputs. Um, so like it would have to be a more modern like like Street Fighter Five or you know Mortal Kombat X or newer. Um, or something like that. Well, I could do Mortal Kombat, but that I think that's what we had thought. The... Mortal Kombat X. Yeah, because I got that and then never ended up playing it. Um, I think I played. I played one match against Campster. Had no idea what I was doing. And Campster killed me in two seconds. So. Well, we can figure that out, anyways. But if you have suggestions, tweet them at me at Cuffedbert or. You know, send them to the podcast email at spoilwarningshow at gmail.com. How much time we got? We want to talk about your thing, Josh? Or... I don't know. I haven't been keeping track. What was my thing? Uh, your other thing was Divinity Original Sin 2. But... Oh, yeah, that's right. That's a video game I've been playing this week, uh, predominantly. Um, and I'm playing it with Glitch, who is not here because he's busy watching some TV show that is apparently cool called, like, Stranger Things 2 or something. I don't know. Anyway, uh, we should all shame him for not being here. But I've been playing Divinity Original Sin with him, and that's been really cool. Um, I didn't really play the, like, I I owned the first game, I bought it, but I bought it, like, after everyone else had played it, so, like, nobody wanted to play it with me multiplayer, I was like, oh, <laughs> and, like, I guess these games are okay single player, but, like, their, their coolest component is that you can basically play them as if you were playing, like, a tabletop RPG campaign with friends, um, and it's kind of the only game that's doing that now. Like, aside from, like, like you know, like, Tabletop Simulator and whatever, they're just, like, actually just play D&D online with your friends. Um, you know, this is the only game that's doing, like, the Icewind Dale 
or like Baldur's Gate kind of thing where you can just like make your own party uh, and have, you know... That was a thing for a little while, right? Right around with Icewind Dale. And I think it was maybe an initiative within Bioware or whatever. Like Neverwinter Nights did similar stuff, I feel like. Well, I mean, this was all, this was all like interplay at the, well, um, no, I know. Interplay was, was Fallout. That was Bioware. What am I talking about? Sorry, continue. (laughs) Well, I was just saying, like, like there was this movement, like, in the early 2000s to try to make this a thing, right? Where you would release a video game, and it would be a big rules-based MMO, or not MMO, but a big rules-based RPG. But then you'd also yeah. issue the uh, authoring software to come up with your own campaigns. And Yeah, like, Neverwinter Nights was probably the pinnacle of that. Where and I don't know if it ever really Neverwinter Nights campaign was like really boring, but everybody made their own Neverwinter Nights campaigns. Um, you could apparently do this with Divinity Original Sin too. There is a like GM mode where you set up a campaign yes. and just do it. It's so in depth, and the character creator is so satisfying. I've heard nothing. They blend but good the things. mixture of like. Because when you make characters in these RPGs, usually they're like very little backstory, but they they let you customize pre-built characters. And I didn't feel like I wanted to go yeah. outside of what they had to offer because they had some really great stories, like backstories for these characters. But then you weren't like, oh, I want to, I like this backstory, but I don't like this class. No, Divinity says no. Don't worry about it, man. You can change the class of that character, so you can pick whatever you want. And even then, like, the the classes aren't classes in the traditional sense. Like, you're not saying, I'm a mage, I can do this. There's no way for me to do this other thing that's, like, a warrior thing uh, ever through the game. Like, the, the, the starting classes just, like, are just what skills you initially start with. Um, and you can just like kind of spec into whatever the heck you want and do any kind of hybrid stuff. Um, that's really cool. Uh, but yeah, like, like Obsidian has kind of revived the like late nineties, early two thousands, Bioware 2d top-down RPG stuff. Um, but they haven't really leaned into multiplayer stuff with that at all. So like Larian Studios is pretty much the only developer that I think is doing this kind of stuff in, in 2017. And they did it with their last game too, uh, Divinity Original Sin 1. Um, but, but it's, it's pretty cool. Um, the, like, the way the magic system works and the way things interact is really interesting. Um, so, like, you can, uh, cast a spell to make it rain, right? Um, and it rains over the battlefield and leaves a bunch of puddles of water everywhere. Uh, and then you can cast a lightning bolt into the the puddles of water, and everything that's in the uh, like connected to that, like standing in a puddle of water that's connected to that initial puddle of water, uh, gets shocked. Um, or you can cast a different spell to make all that water turn into puddles of poison, uh, and then puddles of poison are flammable, so you can just fire, throw a fireball into that and set the entire room on fire. And there's a lot of these, like, area of effect field interactions that are pretty cool. Um, and that's how you set up a lot of the, um, um, 
like conditions and uh, control stuff is by setting up these fields and, and using different combinations of, of spells with one another to uh, to do the, uh, to like do various different effects. And there's like like you can play an undead. Like you can just play a skeletal version of one of the the four races, uh, and and they're like immune to poison. Like poison actually heals them, but healing spells hurt them. So if you're playing an undead, you can just like lay down a, a field of poison and go to town because like just standing in the poison will heal you. But if you're fighting an undead. You can cast like the restoration spell that you don't you would normally use to like heal a party member and heal the undead, which actually does a whole bunch of damage to them. That's nice. Like there's a lot head. of like like cool role playing mechanics in it. Like it's deeper than your typical RPG in that way. There's a lot of like weird, cool role playing stuff you can do with it. Um I, I feel like the um the Tyranny and um, Pillars of Eternity team are doing more of a Baldur's Gate narrative focus, and the team yeah. working on Divinity Original Sin is more interested in recreating combat encounters from from your childhood of playing D anD D or whatever. Um, not that there isn't yeah, very playing. Much there's so. lots of that, but but the emphasis is more on systems than on storytelling. I've, at least a little bit, at least me- mechanically. Whereas I think something like Tyranny, Tyranny did not care a lot about combat, at least not as much as telling you the story of John Tyranny and his quest for vengeance or whatever. <laughs> you have perfectly described the story of Tyranny. I didn't want to summarize everything. I thought about I thought for five seconds about summarizing that entire narrative, and I'm like. Nope, I'm just I'm just not even going to do that. <laughs> yeah, it, it very much feels like that. And the the game focus kind of um reflects that where like the best parts of Divinity Original Sin are getting into interesting fights, I think. Um and the story is not bad, but it's not like will stand out from what I've seen so far. Like it's it can be kind of generic. Well, from what I've understood, from what I've heard, the the writing isn't bad. Like character dialogue works, characters yeah. are motivated, um, and the story is 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 it's just not as interested in narrative player choice the way like tyranny is. Tyranny is like choose yeah. the fate of the world, and we will branch off the narrative. And you, you there's going to be combat bits, but really it's about choosing your way through the story. Whereas from and again, I haven't played through Divinity, but from what I've heard, it it sounds much more interested in. The story's pretty linear, it's pretty well written, there's lots of good dialogue, but really you're playing this to get into hilarious combat scenarios that you can like creatively solve your way out of. It almost kind of sounds like Fallout, the more I the more I hear about it actually. The original Fallout. Not in tone, the, but yeah. just just in what it's about. Yeah, and the combat is much more similar to, to Fallout than it is to Baldur's Gate. Like it's turn based and uh and like you have action points. Um, and like some skills take more action points than others and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, if you're wearing light armor, you can, you can take more, you can move further before that consumes like another action point and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's closer to fallout. I feel like than, than, um, to Baldur's Gate in a lot of ways. Uh, and as far as, uh, as like the, 
the story stuff goes. Like, so there's this um, major antagonist of like the first act is this holy man bishop, and the final thing is like the final battle of that act is you fight him, and I blew him up and then raised a minion out of his flesh uh, for the rest of the fight. Uh, and then I got onto a ship, and they were like, Hey, so that dude you killed is here. I was like, What? Yeah, no, he's fine. Uh, he's just unconscious. And I was like, But I blew him up and, and turned him into an undead minion. I'm pretty sure he's not okay. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's like a, a ruse and it's some other character or the original one was a decoy or something. I don't know. I haven't gotten past that part yet, but like that was kind of the reaction of like, oh, okay, we need this guy alive for some reason. We don't have a way to capture people. So we're just going to make it so that regardless of how much you killed that dude, he's just here now. So that's cool. The undead are actually really cool in that game because they have to wear, well, they're like skeletons and they have to wear the skin of another to, you know, blend in, which is really neat because your character, your character actually does that, like changes form as you walk in the town. Where do do they get the skin? Like, do you have to murder somebody? Well, there's one undead who keeps trying to take people's faces uh, without much success because he doesn't understand how faces work. But, um, uh, but like, in general, like, like the undead have to hide their features from people with, like, hoods or masks or whatever, or people freak the fuck out. As they probably should. Yeah, yeah that's understandable. And the elves are really cool because they eat flesh and will get the memories oh, yeah, of cannibals. that person. Wait, and that you actually... That? You- or like you can you can yeah you can get story elements from eating somebody because you then yeah know you get like a glimpse them. of their memories usually their final moments for some reason but you actually have to kill people and eat them well but then that doesn't help if they're just going to tell me how I just killed them well I mean you or usually well sometimes it's a simple thing like a password or maybe uh not a password like a like a hint or something. Um, but sometimes you just find corpses. So then you can get their memories and maybe get an understanding of what happened in that situation. Elves are also by far the the best race in the game as far as like, well, aside from maybe undead, as far as like combat min-maxing because they just get a an ability that straight up gives them an extra action point for a turn. Uh, and that's really important. Because there aren't a whole lot of abilities that do that. They're also tree people, which is interesting. Are they playable? Yeah. Oh, cool. Like ants? But like they kind of look like if if they have no clothes on, they kind of look like plant-ish. Like their muscles look more like plant fiber than they do like human muscles and that kind of thing and all their armor is very like nature-y anyway it's a really cool game there's a lot of like flavor stuff in it i'm not sure i'd say the story itself is that interesting but like there's a lot of other stuff in it besides just the the overall narrative that are really cool 
it sounds like it's doing some neat stuff with sort of fantasy tropes. None of them sounded like, you know, dwarf who digs for gold underground, elf who practices magic, humans who are kind of good at everything, uh, a halfling who's good at thieving and quiet stuff. This sounds like there, there's like yeah. cannibalistic elves and, and undead that have to hide themselves because they're freakish and also get hurt from healing spells and tree people that apparently can get naked and fibrous. Um, <laughs> so it sounds interesting. Uh, how are we doing on time? You think we're about uh, about out or? I think we've been doing this for about an hour. Do I want to answer like questions? Did you have anything you wanted to talk about? I have a bunch of stuff, but I don't want to list it because I'm afraid if I list it and then we only do like one thing, everyone's going to get mad. I didn't do the other four things. Let's just what do emails. No I knew that there were four other things. Are you going to edit this? No. Oh, then <laughs> that, that, there's your answer. Hmm. Um, let's see what we got here. Do you want to answer this one specifically at you, Chris, real quick? Uh, well, that sounds scary, but okay. Okay. Dear Christopher, what do you think about Scott Pilgrim, the comic, the game, the movie, the man? Love, Christopher. Oh, that's that's hard because I've I've only skimmed the comic and I've seen the movie and I have not actually played the game. Um, the game is very pretty. I like the pixel art. I like the soundtrack. Um, was that done by Anamataguchi or whatever? Like the the yeah yeah. I, I love that band. I love that. I'm, it's fantastic soundtrack. Um, but other than that, I haven't played it, so I can't really comment on how that game plays or story or anything. Um, I, I kind of can't stand the movie version of Scott Pilgrim. I really, really don't like him. I, I, I don't like anything about that movie, really. I, I like that it, it, it has a weird attempt at sort of being about game stuff, but it, it it's the sort of dude wearing a Zelda t-shirt version of all the things it's referencing. It, oh, it, these that's are, such a good metaphor. These are not deep cuts. They're they are Street Fighter references and like... You know at the uh, it, I guess spoilers to some extent, but you know at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 when Peter Quill turns into a giant Pac-Man? That, 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 that cringe moment is what I feel for most of, of, of uh, that film. Oh, um, wasn't that horrible? I completely forgot was. that happened. Yeah, I, I had purged that from my mind. That, that I saw moment... the whole of Pixels. <laughs> oh my oh, god. I've been to hell and back. Jesus. Yeah, I'm so oh sorry. Anyway, I, I don't like the movie. Uh, I don't like how it ends. I don't like the, the weird setup of, of, of all that stuff. I, I like the comic book, having not read it deeply, so I'm, I can't really, like, confirm my suspicions, but a friend was reading it, and I've skimmed through the book, and it seems like it treats uh, Scott Pilgrim with a little bit more contempt, like he actually needs to grow up, and that's his journey throughout the story, whereas that's not really what happens in the film. So that I guess that's my overall take on, on Scott Pilgrim. Um, I, I 
would probably like the book if I read it. Did not like the film. The video game is probably awesome and it has a great soundtrack. Cool. Let's move on to another question. Dear Spodcast, a friend of yours has just made something in their creative field like a game, a book, a video, or a piece of music. They ask you for your opinion on it. You secretly think it's terrible. Do you, one, lie through your teeth to be nice, it's not very convincing, you're a bad liar. Two, tell them the rude and unhelpful truth. Three, change the subject. Four, do extensive exercises, meditation, and self-reflection to change into a nicer person and learn to love whatever crap your friends make from now on. Or five, flee without a word. Love, Christopher, again. <laughs> so I have an answer to this. Um, I, I think, like, I've come up with a really good and solid system for dealing with this, where um, I say it's really great, but then I tell them that I showed my friend Campster their stuff, and Campster <laughs> thinks it's really awful. Um, and that's especially fun to do when the person asking for your feedback on stuff is Campster. So Campster, you know, shows me a video and I'm like, I think it's great, but I showed it to my friend's Campster and he thinks it's awful. I don't know if I have a strikingly great answer for this question. <laughs> Alex, well, I have an me? answer. Yes, and I'm coming from an education perspective. Is that when you're saying, you know, there's, there's a constructive feedback to be given in a way. The one problem you run into is if you're in completely different fields or whatever, and you don't entirely understand what, like, what's good and what's bad. Like with art, it's especially difficult because it's so out there, and I don't know anything about art or what technically makes good art. And really, I don't have any opinion about games either. I, like, I usually deal with writing and narrative, so in that case, I would... Like, there's no point in saying something is good or bad because that's not helpful, in my opinion. It's always good to, like, tell them, like, what you thought about it or how it made you feel. Or um, if it is does need work, like, ask them a question about it. So sometimes I would, I'll say things like, what did you mean when you said this? Do I sound like it's like a teacher thing to say, like, or what were you trying to convey when you did this? Or what were you like, what was this mechanic inspired by if it was a game or something like that? Maybe I'm taking this question a little too seriously, but it's like coming from no, that perspective of like that, like that's kind of my job, you know? Yeah, I think that's like a fair way to do it. Like, I, and I, that's like pretty much my answer if I'm going to be actually serious about this and not just making jokes at Campster's expense. Um, like, usually when people ask you for your feedback, like, well, okay, there, there's, like, different ways that this can come up. Like, if it's just like, hey, I did this cool thing and it's not clear that they're asking for feedback uh, and you don't like it, but, like... Like, there's, there's something with it that bothers you, but it doesn't look like you're, they're actually looking for that kind of feedback, then, like, you don't have to give it. Like, you know, say, you know, it's really cool that you did that. You know, um, that's great. You know, it, that's fine. But if it's something they're looking for feedback for, like, you don't want to just say, this sucks. Like, if they're looking for, for feedback to help them get better, then um, you want to remain constructive 
So if there's something that's bothering you about it, you you want to kind of like get at that from a constructive standpoint. Like, hey, so this is interesting. Why did you do it this way? That kind of thing. Um, just telling someone to their face, like, this sucks. I don't like it. Like, that's never helpful. So, like... And and of course, there is that thing of, like, you know, if it's something that you're not at all qualified to speak on, you have no expertise with, like, then, you know, uh, like, unless they're specifically going to you, like, I want your feedback as someone who is not familiar with this kind of stuff, then, like, you know, don't imagine that you're going to be able to provide helpful feedback. But at the same time, if they're coming to you because you're an expert, like, I drew a picture and yeah. I took it to my artist friend... Then you have a little bit more leeway, I think, to give constructive feedback. Yeah, exactly. And if you may not like it, another side of it that we haven't talked about is if you don't like it because of a political reason or if it's, like, offensive, that's that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah. Because some people are more comfortable talking about that kind of stuff than others. And there is a way to do it when it's your close friend or family member or something like that. <laughs> Um, and then maybe if they're strangers, not so much, but it's hard to define what, like, there could be many reasons why you don't like something, basically. Well, yeah, this is a very broad question, but like, in general, I think the answer is, you know, keep in mind the context in which you are viewing it, um, and, and base your reaction on that. You know, because it's very, very different to be like an artist and have someone who is an aspiring artist come to you with their their artwork and say like, hey, what do you think of this? Versus like you having never written anything in your life and your writer friend comes and, and shows you something they wrote. You know, like that's those are different contexts for things. You know, one of them, they're actively looking for, like, your feedback from your expertise as an artist, and then the other person, like, the other situation is just like, hey, I did this cool thing. So there are times when it's more appropriate to give, like, like feedback that specifically gets to the heart of, like, whether or not you like something, what what you think it's doing right or wrong, and there are times when that's less appropriate. All right, we doing any more questions, or do you think that was that's a show? Um, we can do like one more. I'd like to get one that's not right. from Chris. Fair point. Um, do we want a funny one or a like an interesting question? I defer to Alex. Uh, I'm gonna say interesting because the last one was kind of fun. Okay. Um. Someone just sent a really long list of alternate podcast names, which might be fun to read Ooh. out at some point, but like it's really it, it, this is like forty five lines long. Oh my goodness. Hey guys, first time listener, long time caller. My normal question for this week is what video game had the most emotional effect on you? For example, Eris dying in Final Fantasy Seven. Thanks, P. Hmm. I feel like this question is kind of like a what is your favorite color question. Um, like, obviously not as, as like, dumb and generic as what is your favorite color, but, like, the kind of question that, like... Or, like, what is your favorite food? The kind of question where I'm, like, I'm going to give a different answer on a different day. Yeah. 
Because um, it's hard to think about every emotion that I've experienced during every game I've played. Yeah. Um, like, one that often comes to mind when people ask about, like, emotional scenes in game is the end of um, Me Metal Gear Solid 3. That I always kind of cite as a emotional ending. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, I no haven't, haven't gotten around to playing Metal Gear Solid 3, so... Should, now's a good time to start doing that. With everything else now that's that, going on. <laughs> now that there will never be a real Metal Gear game again. Oh. Don't remind me. It's all over, so there's plenty of time now for you to play through the entire series. That's... <laughs> MGS5 is actually so good. People complain about Quiet being weird, but, like, it's a really good game. Um, the Metro games, actually, are, are pretty emotionally charged for me. Um, both of them, but especially the, uh, good ending of last light um i think was one of the best video game endings i've ever seen uh and the way that game ties its themes together narratively are really really solid and that's the reason why i've wanted to do it on spoiler warning for forever unfortunately i'm apparently the only person in the universe that actually played last light so want want i'm trying to think of like the question's a little misleading because it, it cites Aerith, Eris. I still don't know what the proper pronunciation is. Um, which sort of slants the question towards sad time emotions. And I, I can only really off the top of my head point to two examples of really, really sad time emotions in games. Um, one was the end of the first season of The Walking Dead. Um, that yeah. got me pretty good. Um, and the other one that I can think of that, that, uh, that really got me was, uh, that dragon cancer. That's that, those are the two that come to mind off the top of my head. I still oh, not yes. play that game for like, not because I am waiting to play it, but because I don't actually really want to play a game about how bad cancer is. <laughs> but I, that's I, one of those I, games that's like, that sounds like a really cool game. I don't ever want to experience it. I was I was bawling at the end of that game. Um, but the question does sort of slant it towards sad times, and I feel like there are other emotions, like... Um... Anger? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, so uh, Dark Souls, then. No. Thanks for the segue, campsters. So in Dark Souls... It, it never made me angry. <laughs> Um, I was thinking more something like Watch Dogs, which I actively was just oh, angry at the entire time, or Bioshock Infinite, or or any of those like mm -hmm. five games on my hate list of games that that set me off. My Guy Fieri's list of games. Um, <laughs> so they made a video game out of Guy Fieri. Would it top that list? It would just be Watch Dogs as Guy Fieri. <laughs> so would you be living in Dissonance Town then? No, no, Welcome don't, to Distance don't Town. encourage. <laughs> don't encourage Josh. 
I'm Chris Fieri, and this is Distance Town. Dissonance Town. Well, come on in. Oh, I'm in we're hell. Gonna try ourselves some emotional video games today. What we got here? We got oh, we got Chris Fieri's hit list of games that he hates. Right here in Dissonance Town. Okay, I'm try our donkey Kong sauce. Diners, dissonance, and ludo narratives. <laughs> what kind of car do you think uh, Chris uh, Fieri drives? PT Cruiser. It's a, it's a smart it, car, but it's yeah, still got the flames like... of the of the Camaro <laughs> or whatever he drives. <laughs> Either that or some like old station wagon. <laughs> I'm struggling to think of other games that like provoked a profound emotional response. Uh, I think of the Zelda games a lot, like especially Breath of the Wild. Seeing the land for the first time, that was pretty, pretty emotional, in, like a good way. Yeah, like that first reveal that you're up on this like big plateau, and you see the castle in the distance. Yeah. Um, Life is Strange had a number of those moments. Pretty much like one per episode. Although yeah, episode five was more about being really frustrated with how everything turned out. Life is Strange was a good is a good example. This war of mine can produce really interesting stories. Um, I don't know if I ever like cried playing it, but it certainly can be depressing. Um, it, it's sort of an omnipresent despair. And and honestly, I, I've been just playing this this week is Mario Galaxy or Mario Galaxy Mario Odyssey, which seems to be able to really elicit a sense of joy no matter what mood I'm in. Everything about that game is so bright and cheerful. It's it's hard even the things that are not bright and cheerful. Um, it's hard to be super depressed when I'm playing that game. I don't know. It's it's hard to quantify your emotional response to stuff after the fact right like it's uh, the, the, yeah. i guess that's why we and... fall back to crying because it's like when was the last time i cried at a game because like it's hard to be like what what game made you the happiest what game made you the most angry what game made you the most afraid it, it's hard to quantify emotional response and it's something that like you you can kind of forget as time goes on too like oh, yeah. as the intensity wears off like i'm trying to remember how I felt at the end of um, Firewatch. And I can't remember if I was genuinely emotionally moved or just frustrated at the way the ending went off. Ooh, I remember another one, another good one. Um, Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. Keep pulling out these games I haven't played. Brothers is you need you need a dual stick controller to play it, but it, it's a right. I mean, I, I know I know what it is, but. Another game that gives me that sheer sense of joy, uh, weirdly enough, uh, in addition to the Mario Odyssey, um, this is going to sound really weird, Saints Row 4. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I agree with you. I totally see your reasoning why. I would pick the Katamari games as, like, that too. Yes, that's a good example. I wish they made another one. It's just the great game to just chill out and relax to, and it's nice and colorful and happy. I'm sad we never really got a proper one released on the PC. I mean, there is um, the one made by 
Oh god, it was in the potato bundle. I can't remember what it, what the dev team that made it. I know. I think I know got, what like, you're talking about. We never got an actual Katamari game, and that that on the PC, and that makes me sad. The wonderful end of the world. Yes, that one. And that's cool, but it doesn't quite capture what Katamari managed to do. All right, we got anything else? Any other emotional, happy, sad, scary moments? I think we've covered like the the big ones for me. Alex. Um, I think we got him. All right, cool. Uh, any other questions? I, I know how or... we can end this question. Um, okay. Uh, des- describe your emotional state as I read this question to you. Hello, Spotties. I have a question for Chris. Ooh. Which do you hate most? Guy Fieri, the name Spodcast, or Yarny the Cute Little Yarn Monster? Signed, not Christopher. Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> Uh, that's actually like my instinct is to say Guy Fieri because I hate everything that his stupid show stands for. But apparently he's a really good guy, which which sucks to admit that because I hate his show. But it, <laughs> oh, but no. he's actually apparently a good person, <laughs> even if his taste in food and chefery sucks. Um, so on the other hand, I, I really do hate the name Spodcast, but it's it's kind of a minor thing in the grand scheme of things. It's a branding decision. I, I don't, I don't like, it doesn't actively bother me as much as having to sit through and watch Guy Fieri. Like spending an hour recording this podcast does not bother me as much as spending an hour watching diners, drive-ins and dives. And then there's Yarny who I, is just, God, do I hate that game? Um, speaking of anger. Oh, really that, that okay. Yeah. No, that game made me angry. I, I do not. I, I do not use the word pretentious lightly because people accuse me of it all the time, but that game is so pretentious and it drives me up a wall. Um, it, it's it's this faux use of... Oh, oh it makes me angry. Okay, I'm going to go with Yarny for now. Yarn, right now, the answer is Yarny. <laughs> so would you say that Guy Fieri is secretly the person you always wish you were? No, no, we're not going back to this idea. Chris no. Fieri! <laughs> Someone's going to Photoshop this and I'm going to get tweet to get it tweeted at me and I'm just going to be very upset the whole week if this happens. So let's just oh. kill it. Drop it. You won't be upset. It'll be an honor. What if you it's Guy your face Fieri on your idol's shoulder? You? Oh. I don't think that will happen. Anyway, this has been a too long podcast by about half. So I think we're uh, time to wrap it up. Okay. All right. Say good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.